My name is Mike Benson. I'm an evangelist here at Resurrection Life Church, the in-house evangelist. I'm also the team captain of the Conquerors International Strength Team, which is a group of athletes, and we have every little boy and some girl's dream job. We get to break stuff for a living, and we don't get in trouble for it. And uh, I'm here tonight to share the word with you tonight. But uh, before we begin, can we pray? Father God, we thank you and we praise you for the victory that you won on the cross of Calvary. The victory over sin, the victory over death, the victory over hell, the victory over depression, the victory over everything that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives. And Father God, as your sons and your daughters, we're not here just to play church or have church. We're here to prepare to go out and enforce the victory that our King has won for us. And so, Father God, tonight we thank you and we bless you and we honor you and your word tonight. We give you freedom to do whatever you see fit tonight. Father God, we expect you to move in our hearts. We expect you to transform our thinking. And Father God, we expect life to burst forth out of our hearts and our souls. And we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get right into the message. It's called the United States of the Gadarenes. And I'm going to read a very familiar verse of scripture. It's Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day... He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And in other books of the Bible, it says, Before the time. The devil knows his time is drawing to a close. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Demons are territorial. They occupy geographical locations, and they like to stay there. And this madman that was filled with demons, human attempts at controlling him or subduing him didn't work. Shackles, chains, just like today, psychology doesn't have any answer for the demonic. The prescriptions don't have an answer for the demonic. But notice that when Jesus showed up on the scene, that they ran and started to beg him. The presence of God dispels and displaces the demonic. They cannot stand it. Um, I'll give you a little 
historical background. He went to the land of Gadarenes. This was a land that was named after one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Gad. And some people would say, well, you know, Jesus wasn't ministering to any Jews there because they were raising pigs after all. And you'll remember at some time when a Gentile woman came to the Lord and asked that uh, he heal her daughter, he said, uh, woman, am I to give the children's bread to the dogs? I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. And so some people would say, well, what was he doing there in that place? And I believe it was because he had a historical account to settle. Because Jesus didn't just happen upon something. He didn't just go somewhere without a mission or a purpose. Remember, he said, I do not say or do anything I do not hear my father say or see my father do. So Jesus was there for a specified reason. And um, we can look in Numbers 32, verses 1 through 5. And it says, Now the children of Reuben... And the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Astroth, Disban, and all these other guys, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Basically, they had been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and this was their time. And they had already defeated some outerlying peoples on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And now they were about to cross over into the promised land and take what rightfully belonged to them, take their birthright. And these guys came to Moses and they said, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we kind of like it out here. This place is pretty cool. We can... We got a lot of livestock, and we got some cities that's fortified. Can we hang back here? And, and Moses started to rebuke him and said, hey, are you going to be like the first batch that got us wandering around in the desert for 40 years? And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. We're dumb, but we're not that dumb. We'll go with you. We'll help you defeat the enemy. But then when we're done, we want to hang back. We want this land over here on this side for our possession. Compromise is a doorway to the demonic. You see, the land was good for livestock, but it didn't have the living presence of God in it. The land was good to make a living, but it didn't have the living God in it. They chose the produce of the land over the presence of God. Compromise is a door to the demonic. And I know when we get talking demonic, people see pictures of of uh, the exorcist, you know, heads twirling around with projectile vomiting and things like that. But the enemy disguises itself as an angel of light. And he always, he doesn't come with a pitchfork in his hand. But they chose the temporary over the eternal. 
the things that are seen instead of the unseen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Our culture in our country has become a culture of stuff. We like our stuff. We like our iPads, iPhones. Before you know it, they'll have an iCar. They're talking about having driverless cars. I don't know about y'all, but uh uh-uh. (laughs) That ain't happening, not me. I'm gonna drive my car. And we become a culture that We've replaced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the God of the stock market. That's what this country culturally worships. It worships money. Mammon. It's God's number one competitor is money, the love of money. And you don't have to draw a pentagram and light black candles to open a doorway to the demonic. You know, there's the big ones like smoking, drinking, all the, ooh, all the bad sins that we know. But, you know, all you have to do is compromise the ways and the words of God, especially if he gives you a direct command and asks you or tells you to do something and you don't do it, you compromise that, you open wide the floodgates for the enemy to sneak right in there. And our country has done this wholesale. We have, we, our country has become a, a reflection of this madman of Gadara. Notice that he was in the mountains and the tombs. He liked dead things. Our culture today is fascinated with dead things. We've got the occult. We got medium TV, psychic hotlines. We've got shows like Twilight, The Walking Dead. And then we even got a show called Lucifer, trying to make the devil look cool. Our culture is fascinated with death and dead things. Proverbs 11:19 says, "As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death." That's true for an individual and it's also true as a culture or a nation at whole. If this nation continues to pursue evil, it pursues it to its own death. Amen. But I got good news tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> Our, our culture is violent, violence. We glorify violence. I mean, I'm a guy, I like guy flicks. Like the next guy, you know, if it ain't shooting up a bunch of people and, and uh, the Lord, uh, oh man, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> he got on me about that one time. Because my son now, I have a son who's raising up and, and he's into video games and he's getting into stuff. So, you know, we, we have to be careful as a church that we want to be a light to the culture without becoming like the culture. We are supposed to exercise spiritual authority in areas and exercise influence as sons and daughters. We're ambassadors from heaven. We have a job. We have a government position. But it's not like the government here. There's no democracy or no republic in heaven. There's only a king in heaven. And he reigns, and he rules. And he's looking to his church to exercise dominion. He said, be fruitful and multiply. I give you dominion over all things. Amen? 
So it's time for the church to be known for the presence of God. It's time for our homes to be known for the presence of God. I've been in some services in this church that have been phenomenal. Worship has just been, presence of God is there, people are worshiping. That's all good, and it's awesome. This is one church, and there's like 36 churches within three miles of my house, and I'm sorry, but not all of them invite the Holy Spirit into their presence. Amen? And I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not getting doctrinal or denominational here. I'm just telling you the truth. It's time for the church to be people of the presence of God. Because the presence of God is the only way we're going to change this culture. You can stand on the street corner and tell everybody they're going to go to hell. If you want to. <laughs> but it's not, going to, it's not that effective. In order for somebody to receive from you, they have to have a relationship with you. But I can tell you one way, you can cut through all the relationship stuff. You show up on the street corner, manifest in the presence of God, and you'll have some reactions. Amen, I've been there and seen it before. <laughs> the presence of God produces the power of God. Mark 5, 11 through 13. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. You see, when the presence, when a believer filled with the presence of the living God shows up on the scene in a situation, the, the, the demonic has no, they, they can't do what they want anymore. The jig is up. That's why one of the enemy's main weapons is strife against the church. Brother against brother, sister against sister, families divided. The enemy loves that stuff. And we're going into a season Statistically, where there's more strife, more depression, more anything, because families have to come together and they got to face each other. Amen. We as a church, we need to we need to have a hunger for God's presence. I love the Word of God. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Okay, I eat, sleep, breathe the Word of God. I love to preach the gospel. I love to worship. What I, I love more than anything is when God's presence shows up. Amen? Because one moment in, in, in the presence of God can do more for you than any Bible study you do, any music you listen to. Just one moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall my, by any means hurt you. By any means. You have authority over anything that steals, kills, and destroys. You have authority in Jesus Christ. You have to exercise it. I use a police illustration. A policeman... I've, I've been working with law enforcement quite a bit lately, and we're going to continue to work with them. And if anybody in here is in law enforcement, God bless you. We need to honor our law enforcement men and women. 
Because if a, if a police officer stands in the street and puts his, his or her hand up, everybody's going to stop, right? I know I do. I see a police, I'm like, ooh, but check the speed limit or slow down. <laughs> but if, if one of us were to stand in the middle of the street and put our hands up, nobody's going to stop. They're going to drive around us, honk at us. Some choice words are going to be flown at us out the window. <laughs> but what, what's the difference between us and a police officer? That's because that uniform and that badge tells them that they have all the power of the local government in back of them. They have authority. And if you don't listen to that authority, they have power that backs it up. It's called that sidearm. Now, if that same police officer runs up on a house where there's a burglar in there and he comes out the window and the police says, stop in the name of the law, and the criminal looks at him and says, yeah, whatever, and starts running, and he doesn't use that authority, it does him no good. That's what the enemy is doing with us all the time. He's continually testing us to see if we will exercise the authority that God has given us. He rears his ugly head and says, what are you going to do about this, believer? What are you going to do about this, Christian? Mm, mm, mm. The presence of God also produces the peace of God. In Mark 5, 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting in clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace his, whose mind is stayed on you. I don't know about you guys, but there's been times where my mind has been overwhelmed with all the problems and the issues and the stresses of life. And it only takes a small shift in our paradigm and our focus. We need to just start focusing on God. For me personally, I start getting thankful. I have to remind myself where I came from. Thank you, God, you delivered me from prison. Thank you, God, you delivered me from drugs. Thank you. And, and before you know it, all my problems start going away because I quit focusing on my problems and start focusing on him. When I, um, when I first got this ministry, the Conquerors, you know, I knew I had a calling of God on my life to be an evangelist. I remember I walked into this sanctuary the first time. Oh, man, it must have been about 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And Pastor Bobby Bogart was up here, and it was a Sunday. I think it was, no, it was a Sunday night. And I walked in here, and, and God said, this is your home. And one, one day you're going to speak here. And uh, I was like, whoa. I was working a gutter job. I didn't know anybody. And I was, uh, I, I don't even think, I think I'd just gotten off parole. <laughs> and... Um, and then I got, I got connected with James DeMello, the founder of this team, and he introduced me to the team and asked me to join, and, and, I, and I was excited about it. You know, we, yeah, we get to break stuff, bend stuff. We get to preach the gospel, see people say, but the one area of this ministry that I had some apprehension about was the school assemblies, because we do a lot of school assemblies every year. I think this year we did like 40 school assemblies. And we're in there all the time telling students about the decisions they make, determine their direction, and how to improve their character, and the choices, and get them all that. But I'm like, God, how am I, as I'm an evangelist, man, I'm not called to do this stuff. I, I can't go in there and tell them about choices without telling them about the choice to make. 
And I'll never forget what God said. He said, son, they may be able to stop you from saying my name, but nobody can stop me from showing up. Amen. And so the conquerors, we prayerfully came up with what we coined as presence evangelism. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna set the tone here. I'm about to show you a video. And uh, yeah, I'll just show you the video and I'll tell you afterward. You guys got the video? I am a ninth grade teacher here at Saginaw High. We just had the conquerors here, and I sat and I saw the assembly, and I was very impressed with the assembly, and I started walking down the hall, and a typical assembly here at Saginaw High is a bit chaotic afterwards, but I noticed a piece of God walking down the hall, and I'm walking, and I'm like, Lord, why is it so peaceful? And then my mind went back to what he said about the books. I said, oh, these are some Christian brothers and sisters. And so I had to turn around and come back and let them know that whatever they're doing, whatever prayers are going forth for this school, it, it worked and it will continue to work because I sense God's presence when I walked out of this room today. And I just had to share that testimony. God bless you. So, so let me let me set, set this up for you. Um, we're, we were to go to this high school in Saginaw, and we were supposed to shoot a video, a promotional video for for the for the Conkers. And it was a day that's unusual for me because for the first time in a long time, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it for some reason, and I had an internal battle. You know, when you're struggling with something and and you're wondering if it's God telling you, or is it you, or are you in the flesh, you're just being, I mean, I'm going through all this stuff. All this stuff is going on inside of me. And, uh, and none of my guys could come with me to do this assembly. I had one guy who could go with me, and I'm like, man, we're supposed to be shooting a video. We're supposed to have more than just two guys at a school assembly. It's a big high school, and, and all this stuff's going through my mind, but I said, all right, I made a commitment, so I'm gonna go. So we head over there, and we get to this high school, and there's metal detectors in the doorway. And uh, we walk in the high, into the gym and we're getting set up and the principal, she comes walking across the floor and she's got a look on her face and I know it ain't good. And she said, I wish I would have got a hold of you before you got here. I would have told you not to come. And I said, why? And she said, we had a shooting here yesterday right in the school and a, and a, and a kid was killed and, and we believe there's a gang war going on right now. And I said, oh, okay, that's no problem. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I'm like, I go back and I'm, I, now I'm really, now I'm really having some confusion, all right? Amen, anybody ever been there before? I got all these thoughts going through my head. I'm like, man, I should have listened and, and I should have, it was probably God telling me and now, now I'm putting me and my team member in danger. We got the video guy with us today and all this other stuff. So I just stopped right there. I told him to come here. We just grasped hands and we just prayed. We just said, Lord, you're so good. You knew this time. You knew this place was going to happen. You knew everything. We just asked you to manifest yourself here in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. 
Just prayed that simple prayer. Well, we went and did the assembly, and I took a very hard stance, uncharacteristically hard stance to them, and I was calling them out about violence and all that, and we got done, and they started walking out, and we, we distribute the book of hope, which is God's word in chronological order, and we distributed like 70-some thousand editions that year, I think, in public schools right here in America. And so they're leaving, and usually at a high school level, especially inner city, the, the amount of books that are taken is very low, like 30% maybe of the students will take it. Well, that day we had like 78% of them took the, took the Book of Hope. And they walked out, and then we're, we're packing our stuff up, and all of a sudden here comes one teacher, comes walking back in there, and they're looking bewildered. And then another teacher walks in, and one guy's going like this, and he's, he's shaking his head. And then this lady comes up to us. And she says, you guys are Christians, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, we are. She said, I, I've been working here for over 30 years. I've never experienced this ever. She said, you could hear a pin drop out there. It's absolutely silence. And there's kids in the hallway weeping right now. And I was like, whoa, really? I, I, I'm going to go out and check it out, you know? <laughs> but... God, God ingrained in my spirit and in my thinking that time that there is nothing in this world that we do not have authority over. It doesn't matter if the government says you can't say that here, you can't do that here. Nobody can stop God from showing up except for a believer. I, I mean, I don't care if you're in the middle of the grocery store. You can pray right there in the middle of the grocery store. So what if people think you're a crazy Bible thumper? Amen. They won't be thinking that when he shows up. Uh, they'll be like, hallelujah. We got to clean up on aisle five. People on the floor laid out. And I'm here to tell you that there's a time like that coming for this nation. I'm sorry to say, but regular church ain't cutting it anymore. It ain't going to do it anymore. It's time for the church and the people of God to get radical, to get militant. And I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm talking about taking up the sword of the Spirit and using it. Amen? And let, and let, this, let this culture experience God. And you don't have to be in the five-fold ministry or be a preacher or a pastor or a teacher. You have authority if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have the same name of Jesus. You have the same spirit of God. You have the same scriptures. You have the same authority. You're not supposed to be in here warm in church pews, listening to good music, hearing a good word, and then rolling out of here. You're supposed to be going out there and putting the devil in his place. Amen? So I just want to share with you two simple ways to manifest the presence of God. I think people get a little hooky-kooky spooky when it comes to God's presence sometime. I've been to some prayer meetings before. <laughs> and man, it wigged me out. I mean, all right, never mind, amen. Hallelujah, stay on point. The first way is prayer. Simply asking God to show up. 
When you're going to your family's dinner, Christmas gathering or something, and you know so-and-so is going to be there full of the devil, ask God to show up at the dinner table. Pray and ask him and believe that he will. One, one of two things will happen. They won't show up or they'll get a big surprise. Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They got together. They were scared. They prayed. The presence of God shook that place, and they were filled with boldness. And then the second way is praise, just praising God. I'll tell you, we've been in some situations overseas. Me and, me and my team have been to over 36 countries on this planet. We've been to several of them many different times. I remember a time we were, um, we were in the Philippines and we saw somebody get shot right in front of us. We were stopping to get some blue, which is something that I really like, but it's featured on Fear Factor. You wouldn't like it, trust me. And, and we stopped and we got out and there's a caravan of three vehicles and three or four guys they they they're chasing this other guy and they're shooting him and we're standing there praying holding our hands I mean we grabbed hands quick and started praying right there and this is all going down right in front of us I mean it's one thing to play pray over your food but it's another thing when there's stuff like that going on <laughs> you better you you better have a habit of praying and then right after that, we're, we're leaving, and we felt such a heaviness. Because, you know, the enemy manifests his presence also. And he was manifesting his presence at that street corner. And we could feel, literally feel a heaviness come over us as we're driving away. We just saw a man's life get taken. And the pastor that we were with, Pastor Jill, he said, Let's, let us praise the Lord. And we started praising the Lord and started crying, driving down the street, and we had a Holy Ghost party the whole way back. That's what you need to do when the enemy brings death, destruction, and defeat to your doorstep. You need to praise the Lord and push back. Don't put up with his stuff anymore. Psalm 22.3, he inhabits the praise of his people. Literally, he makes his dwelling in the praise of his people. 2 Chronicles 20.22, and they began to sing and praise the Lord. And the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. That's, what my, that's my kind of fight right there. I ain't even got to pick up a gun or nothing to show up. All I got to do is start praising the Lord, and the Lord set ambushes against them. Amen. And when they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, they had the first city. And what did, what did, what did the Lord tell them to do? Did he say, send out your military? Which they had none. They were a bunch of Hebrew slaves, former Hebrew slaves, been wandering in the desert for 40 years. He said, send the praise and worship team up there. That's a good military strategy. And they were marching around that city, and I could just imagine what the inhabitants of that city were thinking. These are the guys, these crazy mugs were the ones who destroyed all these cities. They were probably like, they're too crazy, we ain't going out there. 
And the Lord gave them instructions. He said, give a shout. They shout. The walls came down. Now, what brought the walls down? The presence of God brought the walls down. One moment in God's presence can bring the walls down in your life. Something that seems insurmountable, impassable, it looms in your horizon like a giant rock saying, no, you can't do it, you can't do it. I tell you, you praise and pray and get God's presence to show up there and that thing will be gone, amen? Don't try and get the pigs out of your life. A lot of times the enemy will get you focused on your pigs. And I know we're in church and everybody's holy. Nobody has any issues in church, but I know better than that. And when we're focused on the pigs all the time, whatever you focus on, you magnify. It's time to turn your attention to the answer. Turn your attention to the Lord. You start praising God, you start praying, and the pigs will go and take a nice swan dive off a cliff somewhere. You need to focus on the presence of God, manifesting his presence in your life, in your home, in your communities, because we need revival in this nation. We need revival. That's the only thing that's going to help this culture is revival. Nothing short of it. It's not going to come. Hey, the election happened. I'm glad it's over. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But our answer is not going to come from the White House. It's going to come from the church house and your house. That's where it's going to come from. That's where the solutions of this nation lie. It's in the hearts and in the minds of men and women who are children of the Most High God. That's where it's going to come from. Washington doesn't have anything to offer us. They're politicians. Politics comes from the Greek word poly, meaning many. Ticks, blood-sucking creatures. Sorry if I offended any political people out there or anybody with political ambitions. But you know what I'm saying? And when the Lord looks at America, he doesn't check with the White House and the Congress and say, what did you do with my country? Because they don't have the authority. We do. He who has authority has responsibility. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revival starts with one simple thing, repentance. Repentance. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, God's talking to his people, he's talking to the church, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal, heal their land. And again, wicked doesn't mean you have to be doing any of the typical stuff that we would say is wicked. Some of you right now are in a situation where you're asking God, what's going on? 
I know a lot of times my prayer life, I go through seasons of my prayer life where I'm like, what's up, God? This, you know, what's going on? I don't understand this. I don't know how, why is this happening? I'm believing over here, but this is going on. And then you know what he does? When I quiet down and listen to him, instead of give him my litany of complaining and asking him these questions, he says, you remember a few weeks ago when I told you to call that person? Yeah, 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 I remember. And I told you to try to make that relationship right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you do that? Nope. I disobeyed. And, I, and because at the time, I'm like, ah, it's not no big deal. You know, I told them everything's cool. We're good, everything like that. But it wasn't good. And then it seemed like all hell broke loose because all hell did break loose. because I didn't obey what my father told me to do. And so he said, go and make amends. So I went back and I did exactly what he told me. And then it was like, oh, the floodgates of heaven opened up. This is so good, God. You mean it's that simple? I just do what you say and your blessings abound endlessly? I like that. Now when he asks you to do something, it's probably gonna be very hurtful to your pride because part of repentance is humbling yourself. Trust me, I've been there. You'd much rather humble yourself than be humbled. Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, but he is not gonna let you go to a point of destroying yourself. Wicked is a word that just simply means twisted. It's where we get wicker, wicker furniture. Makes great kindling for bonfires can't stand that stuff but it's anything that's twisted you can take the scripture and twist it or God tells you to do something you disobey which is rebellion and rebellion is as witchcraft and I know that some of you are in the midst and you got a lot of questions why ain't this and why ain't this going on I would encourage you to do an inventory and go to God and ask him Lord is there anything that you asked me to do that I have failed to do Yeah, well, I told you to, oh, I know, but, but do I? Yeah, you have to. Amen? God is not the author of confusion. He can't stand strife, especially in his family. Does anybody like it when there's strife in your house? I'll tell you, when my kids are beefing, it ain't good. Sometimes I'd like to say I handle it in a, in a spiritual manner, but sometimes command presence comes out. You sit down, shut up. You sit down. I'm just being real. Oh, y'all don't know nothing about that though, right? But what does strife do to your home? Brings tension, brings anger, brings all that stuff. I know right now by the Holy Spirit that there are some people in here, you've been having a lot of strife. You've been having a lot of strife. People that are close to you, people that you're maybe a, a work, co-worker or a good friend or somebody, or, or most of the time it's family. You've been having a lot of strife. I want to encourage you tonight as we're, we're going to close here in a minute. I want to encourage you to repent. Matter of fact, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes.
If you're sitting in the pew right now and the Holy Spirit has quickened your spirit or, is, or you have a deep sense of conviction in your heart right now that you need to get right with God. You need to repent. That simply means to turn, change your way of thinking. Humble yourself. And you want to get right with the Lord. Especially if you're in here, this is the hardcore Wednesday crew, but if, you, if you've never made a decision to ask Jesus into your heart, or you're away from God, or there's something in your heart that you know God is telling you, you need to repent of this, and we're not going to name it, we're not going to do anything, but I just want you to slip out of your seat and come up here right now.